0: Welcome. We are glad that you're here. We're glad that you would journey along with us. You'll often hear us talk about that um, we are family. We we desire, we believe that God placed us in family. We believe that he gave us kinship terms for each other. He calls us children, but then also that we would call each other brothers and sisters and the Lord. And, and, and so we feel like that one of the things that, that this community has to be and has to become, and, and you'll feel an emphasis on life groups and that side, is that we become family. That, that it genuinely feels like we are family with quirks and all. That that we may not always agree, um, but we will always stay together because we're family. You know what I mean? Like, like that's just what family does. And um, one of the things we want to see the family kind of develop together is that we would be a community that while we pray individually throughout the week, that there is a time and space where we can come and pray together. And so the... The prayer team has been working hard on kind of setting up these quarterly meetings. The first one you might have seen on the the welcome video that it's February 22nd in this room. It's a Thursday night at six o'clock and it's designed to just be prayer and worship that we would come together, that we would um, pray, that we would worship outside of a Sunday space where we can slow down and be a little more intentional and um, that that would be a part going forward. Part of our DNA as a community is that we would be a community that is, that is praying together. And so um, that's going on February 22nd. Would love to see you there. Um, and again, those are going to be quarterly. So if you can't make this one, um, please try and put the next one in your, in your calendar. And um, we'll go from there. It is the last week of So Will I. Uh, you're probably like, we didn't sing the song. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's coming. It's coming, and those of you that are over it already, that, you're like, "Oh man, come on!" Um, so, we we are heading that direction. There, there's a line in the song that it, it's amazing how it ended up in the song. But the very last line that says, "You are the one who never leaves the one behind," the the the, the song is about the bigness and the vastness and eight billion people and like like it, it's. It's majestic in nature, but it it pulls it down to um, that this gospel, this salvation is for everyone. I don't know about you, but there are often times when for me, just by personality, if I'm in a crowd, it can become really easy to, to feel insignificant within a crowd. Even more so, if you, if you have people, um, that are in your world that are doing amazing things, you, you tend to start to go, what am I doing with my life? You know, those kind of moments that, that you, you see what they are and you see what they're doing. And, and there's this natural, like, challenge on, on my life of, well, does it matter? And if we're not careful, then, we, we begin to put that perspective on God, that just, God just sees a crowd. And what I want to encourage you today is we serve the God who sees every single one. That, that no one is left behind. That the story of the gospel is, is that God, when he came in the form of a man and stretched out his arms and, and died on a cross and rose again, that what he had on mind in that moment was you. That who he saw in that moment was you. That he didn't see just a massive humanity, but he saw each and every person whose sin he was taking on him. The, the Bible talks about that before you took breath, before the creation of this whole thing, Christ had already gone to the cross to rescue, to redeem. And so naturally, if you take that line that you're the one who never leaves the one behind, the natural kind of connection point is you. Luke 15 comes to mind. and In Luke 15, um, there's a parable told where Jesus has got a whole bunch of people around him and there are a whole bunch of outsiders. And in the midst of all the outsiders being there, the insiders begin to question, why are the outsiders here? And, And Jesus goes into the story about 99 and 1. That, that if you had 99 sheep and you you lost one, that you go and pursue the one. And what's, what the connection that Luke makes with that is that actually what he's talking about is that heaven rejoices when one person who doesn't know God comes to know God. That there's rejoicing in heaven over the one. That That God, God, looks at this room and doesn't see a crowd. That he sees individuals. That he sees you this morning. And, and maybe before we move where we're going to move, we just need to stop long enough to go and, and recognize and let it just kind of wash over that, that God sees you this morning. That you're not a number you're not, a sea, you're not a face in a sea of faces. That he knows you by name. And, and that he went to the cross with your your name on his heart. That, that God was not okay that you would be separated in relationship with him. And, and so the natural kind of connection point is that that God is for, God is for us. And and what I want to jump to is kind of a twist on that then. So so we we would instantly go, that last line is talking about those that don't know God and and those that don't know God coming to know him. There's a natural connection point there. Um, Totally agree. But what I want to do this morning is kind of just twist it another way as well. And if you have a Bible, um, John chapter 21 is where we're going to camp together. And in John chapter 21... There, there's a, the context to it is, is that Jesus has gone to the cross, he's been raised to life and in his resurrected body now, Jesus has showed up in different places to different people and, and it says by the time Jesus actually ascends into heaven, that, that there were over 500 people that saw him and were eyewitnesses to Jesus with his resurrected body. And so at the point we're going to jump in, he's already showed up twice to two different groups of people. Um, And and both of those were really to declare outward that, that when I told you I would rise from the dead, you saw me die, here I am alive. And so it was confirmation of what he said he would do, he did. And then also confirmation of I was dead, now I'm alive. I've conquered death and brought life. Sin is defeated you are set free. Now you're on mission. So, so he's, he showed up twice for that. This is now the third time that Jesus shows up. John chapter 21. Afterward, so after the first two appearances, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. So, so John's the author. John's writing this down. And, and so what we're about to get is John's perspective of the story. So, so this is John telling the story um, through his eyes, and so there's insight that comes from his eyes, but there's also a walking through the story um, that he wants us to get some stuff that happens in connection with um, Jesus, the risen Jesus. So Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Gal- in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So there's seven of them in total that are all together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So seemingly very, like, you're just getting insight on a story and one dude goes, hey, I'm going to go fishing. And the other dudes that are there, they're like, we're in. Let's go. Um, pretty, pretty common, pretty normal um, conversation between guys. Agreed? Other than the context this, that this sits in. See, the context that this sits in, our main character, Simon Peter, that, that he's carrying something that fishing to him means much more than just fishing. You see, if you go back in the story before Jesus went to the cross, Simon has a conversation with Jesus. And in that conversation, he basically tells Jesus, it doesn't matter what any of these people do speaking about the disciples, Jesus' followers, he goes, no matter what they do, I'm not gonna do it. I will, will not abandon you. I will not leave you. I will die for you. And, And so Peter makes some statements outward. Jesus then goes, actually, before tonight is over, before the rooster crows, which roosters crow when? In the morning. So before morning, you will deny me not only once, but three times. This was the greatest failure in that we have on record in Peter's life. This was the biggest letdown moment in Peter's life. It's right before Jesus goes to the cross. Follow the story out. Peter ends up next to a fire and there's a a middle school girl there. Um, and and she asks him, Hey, you with him? And he's like, I don't know who that guy is. I'm not with him. And he gets adamant to the point where he denies him three times. And after the third time, the rooster crows just like Jesus said it would. And now Peter has to sit in the midst of his failure. Peter now sits in the midst of his disappointment. Peter now has to reconcile his actions with now this resurrected Jesus that showed up twice already. Jesus, or Peter, has to reconcile the fact that he saw an empty tomb. And it's in his failure, it's, it's in his letdown moment, it's in his not greatest spiritual moment, that in that moment, Peter goes, I'm going fishing. To me, fishing is symbolic in this passage for escaping. Fishing is symbolic in this moment of of I I know where I'm at, but I I just gotta I just gotta get away. I know what I'm carrying and it's too much, so I'm just I'm just gonna step back from where I am. Uh, maybe maybe just in a moment of being able to just just be honest this morning. With yourself, with God, what is it that makes you go fishing? What is it, what is it that makes you go fishing? What is, what is it in your world that, that when that happens, it gets to that point, you go, I mean, for me, honestly, I'll be in a moment of transparency, two weeks ago was the worst week, one of the worst weeks of my entire life in ministry. On a personal soul level, not on church level, not on an outward, what you would see, but on a soul level two weeks ago. And it came through the angle of discouragement. And it got to the point where God started to ask me some real questions. And I'll be honest with you, I'll be honest with you. It was easier to go fishing. It would have been easier to step out and go, man, I'm just, I'm just going to go fishing for a while. In fact, so much so that the weekend team was putting together last weekend and we're sitting there and one of the guys goes, you know, you don't have, you don't have to do the host spot. We can get somebody else next week. Can I tell you how good that sounded last week? Because that would have been fishing to me. I could have sat home and watched the premier league on TV live. And yes, Arsenal was playing. It would have been easier to stay home. It was a Super Bowl. It would have been easier to distract myself in any way possible than step into what God had for me last week because my soul was hurt. You ever have those weeks? You ever have those moments? Maybe I'm alone. I don't know. But yeah, you know, like like you ever have those moments when you're tired and because you're tired and you're drained, you start to go, am I supposed to be in this marriage? Because it would be easier if I went fishing, said every man in the room just kidding. It's a joke. (laughs) Tweet it later. Um, but, but seriously, like there's, there's, there's moments in our world that it's easier not to be the person that God has called you to be. It's easier to not step up to the responsibilities that you have on your plate. I mean, we haven't even begun to talk about sin yet and the weight that sin brings and instead of dealing with my sin and my failure, it's easier to go fishing. It's easier to distract myself. It's easier to forget. And so the temptation is that just like Peter, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go fishing today. But can I follow up with another question? What's at stake when you go fishing? What's at stake? Because at this moment, there is a pivotal thing happening. I mean, this moment right here, there is a pivotal thing happening in the life of you. Here's what I mean. You see, Peter had a call in his life, and Peter's call was to take the gospel to the Jews. But what God was going to do in Acts 10 through Peter is he was actually going to open the door from from a perspective so that the gospel could go all the way to the Gentiles. He was the one that kicked down the door in chapter 11 through visions where he got to the point where he was so convinced that God had given the gospel to the Gentiles, which by the way, Gentiles is all of us that are non-Jews, like, like he'd given the gospel to them as well. That this was for all, not just a specific group of people, that at that point, what happens, what happens at that point for us is the door is open for us to sit here today. That's what hangs in the balance at this moment. If Peter stays fishing, Acts chapter 10 doesn't happen. That's how vital it is that Peter steps into the role that God has called him to. And God knows this. But what's at stake if you go fishing today? What does that mean to your marriage? What does that mean to your kids? What does that mean to your job? What does that mean to your church? What does that mean to the calling that God has put on your life if you go fishing today? Because I believe with everything I got, church, that every single person that knows God has a call on their life that God has called you to and he needs you to step in. And that's what this whole So Will I series has been about, is that you would step into the future and destiny that God has in front of you. I believe with everything I got that God has, God has a plan and he has a walk. And I believe some of you that don't even know God yet, he's got a call on your life. But sometimes it's easier to go fishing. Simon Peter told them and they said, we'll go with you. Or Simon people told them "We're going fishing and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught how much? Nothing. One of the amazing themes in the writings of John is the difference between night and day. Next verse. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Early in the morning. So now we've transitioned from night to morning, from dark to light. Next verse. He called out to them, friends, which friends is a bad translation, by the way. If your Bible has children in it, children is a better translation. Um, I wish NIV would have put it in there. Children is a much better translation. Here's why. When Jesus calls out, he uses the word children, which is an intimate term, which tells me that even though if you are fishing today, he still calls you son and he still calls you daughter. It's grace that you are saved. That even if you are at your worst and you have checked out on God and you are running as fast as you can, you need to know that the words that he speaks first to you today is that you are a child, you are his, and just because you're fishing, nothing has changed. Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Okay, if you have any Bible background, this sounds an awful lot like Luke chapter 5, doesn't it? No? Okay, cool. Um, This is Luke chapter 5 to a T. They're out fishing. They don't catch anything. Jesus shows up in Luke chapter five and he goes, hey guys, catch any fish? Sure didn't. They'd fished all night. Sounds familiar. In the morning, which by the way, one of the commentators, I love this. One of the commentators I was reading this week, he goes, you know that the disciples never caught any fish without Jesus's help in the gospels. Don't know what that says about them, but there you go. Um, So they're fishing. They don't catch anything. Morning comes. Jesus says, set your net. On the other side, they put the net on the other side and it's so big that the net is breaking, it says in Luke 5. You know what that portion of scripture is in Luke 5? It's the calling of Peter. It's fascinating that this moment would happen when Peter is checking out on his calling, when Peter is distracting himself with fishing, when he's numbing the pain, so to speak, like we do as humans. That God takes him right back to the beginning when he first called him to walk with him. It's the exact same story, only with a different outcome. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Next verse. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, the disciple whom Jesus loved is John, the one that's writing it. um, It is the Lord... As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. And so he begins swimming. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. So, so they catch the fish, they put the net on the other side, they, they pull up more than they know what to do with. So they end up dragging it because they can't get it back in the boat. As, as that happens... Simon Peter is now out of the boat with his garment around him, which some translations say he was naked. Okay, like it's weird, right? Like, why is he fishing naked? The word gymnasium that we have, um, if you look at what happened back then as far as sporting events, a lot of statues Um, it's believed that he would have had at least a loincloth on. But when you got to the shore and you were going to meet a person because you weren't working anymore, you were in the action, when you got there, you better have something to put on you. So the belief is he threw it around him because he wasn't working. Why? Because he was going to get to the shore and he was going to meet Jesus. So now the boat's home behind. Next verse. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. They saw a fire, and and the fire has coals, and there's fish where? Really important that the fish are on it, right? Because, look what happens next. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. What for? He already has fish. Because maybe in this whole restoration piece that's going on, there's much more There's much more than than what meets the eye naturally. For example, the last time that the word fire was used in this gospel, it was used at a fire when Jesus is on trial. And where's Peter? Around the fire, right? And he's denying Jesus. That's his failure moment. It's in front of a fire. His restoration moment is what? In front of a fire now on a beach with Jesus. Uh, We talked about this a little bit a couple of minutes ago. Roosters crow when? In the morning. When did this happen? In the morning. More than likely, there's probably a rooster crowing in the background. What what I'm encouraged by is that when God redeems you from fishing, when he redeems you from your failures, when he pulls you back, he doesn't pull back only your failure. I think he redeems even the triggers of those failures. You see, the fire would have been a trigger for Peter forever. Forever. But now when he sits next to a fire after being in this one with Jesus, now he remembers the moment on the beach with the fish. By the way, the fish, why does he ask that, that he would bring some? One, one speaker put it this way, that God didn't need Peter's fish. Jesus already had. Jesus, Jesus already had met the need. But Jesus wanted Peter's fish. See, sometimes we think that, man, God needs us. Can I tell you that God wants you? Can I tell you that God wants you? See, it changes the obligations. If Jesus needs me, then it's an obligation. If he wants me, if he wants me, now I step into it with a completely different motivation. What God has said in front of you, you need to understand. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need us to do anything. He could do it a million different ways if he wanted to. But he chooses because he says, I want you to be a part of what? What I am doing. But don't ever mistake that what we bring, he needs. I think when we miss out on the want we get to, We miss out on the blessing because what he's put in your hands is designed to go through your hands as we talked about a couple of weeks ago and so in this moment now you have the fire and you have fish and he says bring some of the fish you caught next verse so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. That's a pretty exact number, 153. But even though, even with so many, the net was not torn. The the 153, man, scholars are everywhere on why 153. I mean, you can get a triangle system with a 10 and a 7 and make it 17, and uh, it's vast. One of the theories is that 153 represented the nations, and so there was each species of fish that was in this lake was caught, and that represents the nations. The only problem is they proved now that there's 157 species. For this morning... And it's in a conversation about God not being okay losing one. The number's exact and the net's not torn. I don't think God's okay losing one in any circumstance. I think he wants you to know that the net is big enough for you. But I think he also wants you to know that he wants you in the net, not out of the net, because he cares about the one. I think he cares about the fact that some of us in the room might be fishing, and he wants to restore that with Peter. The rest of the story goes like this, that around that campfire with those fish, with all those triggers of his failure in front of him, God begins to restore and redeem. And God begins to use words like, hey, Peter... Do you love me? And that word love in that context is of the will. It's the the love that God has for us. It's selfless, but he said his will that he would do it and he did it. And so that is the word of love that's used when he says, when Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? Peter's response is, you know I love you, but the love he uses is, with every ounce of my being, of my soul, of my emotion. I am in love with you, Jesus. What I believe is happening in this moment is if you go back to his failure, his failure was, I will not abandon you. It was a setting of his will that he would not do this. And God is questioning him going, you gonna set your will? And Peter's like, no, I'm gonna set my soul because it's in love with you. It's no longer words, it's soul to Peter. And he asks him three times Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And each time he takes Peter and he goes, Hey, Peter, feed my sheep. Hey, Peter, take care of my sheep, which is a, a pastoral term for shepherding, which Peter later uses in his gospel, actually, when he's talking about elders of the church. But he says, Hey, Peter, take care, take care of my people. And what God is doing in this moment in the person of Jesus is he is taking Peter who is ready to check out and he's going, Peter, I have a call on your life that I need you to step back into. Peter, stop fishing. There's too much at stake today. Peter, I need you to step into what I have for you. Peter, I need your soul. so will I. I need you to step into your calling. The name he uses for Peter, by the way, is the name he used when he first met him. When he's asking him, do you love me? Simon, son of John. He's taking him all the way back to the beginning and going, Peter, nothing's changed. Peter, nothing's changed. You may have gone fishing, but I didn't. And I'm here to remind you that I got a call on your life, Peter, and I need you to step into it. I want you to step forward. I'm here to make sure you step into it. So I got two questions, we're done. What would make you go fishing today? What is it? What is it in your world that weighs so heavy that you go, man, my failures are before me. I, all I can see is my failure. Then you need to know you have a Jesus who wants to meet you by a campfire and set you free this morning. You have a Jesus that wants to remind you that 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 failure you're carrying, you don't need to carry he carried it on the cross and you need to step into what he has in front the second question is this those of you that are in the room and you're, you're either fishing at the moment or you're tempted to go fishing then the question you need to ask yourself is what is at stake today what is at stake today by me being fishing what is it going to cost those I love my family my life group, my work, my church, and ultimately the kingdom that God's got me working in. What's at stake today? So I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing and we're going to sing, so will I, because today is a resetting. Some of us, we need to reset. We need to get rid of the failure. We need to stop fishing and we need to just declare, I'm in, I surrender, I'm back. Some of us, it's just a capturing of the heart because we're, we're there and, and the struggle's real, right? So if you haven't been fishing, it's coming. And so today is a day just to encourage yourself and go, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in. So will I, God, so will I. If you're moving, I'm in. Show me my calling, show me what's in front, I'm in. Show me those I need to love today, I'm in. And so God, we come before you today. God, thank you for being so patient with us. God, thank you for being the God who shows up on a beach and cooks us breakfast, an intimate moment when, God, emotionally we've checked out and we're fishing. God, would you, as only you can, would you speak in these moments to our souls? God, would you illuminate areas that, that... God, we're carrying that we don't need to carry. God, would you show us failures that that are weighing heavier that God, we need to release today. Would you remind us that you are the God that redeems all of it, even the triggers today. God, would you show us in these next moments as we sing this song that paints such pictures. Would you show us what's at stake with our so will I moments? God, would you remind us that you are the God of the one. You are the God that pursues each and every single one today. So, God, we surrender to you. We sing to you. We worship you because you are worthy. And everybody said, amen.